Last week, Pastor Timon spoke about my boyhood hero, a guy by the name of Superman. I loved Superman. I read comics about him, I watched him in movies, and I even dressed like him. Because I believed he was real. There really was a guy who fought the baddies, who could fly, who was strong, who was good. And I remember the day that I found out that Superman wasn't really real. He was only pretend. That there really wasn't someone called Clark Kent. And that he didn't magically change into Superman. In my five-year-old world, I was crushed, right? This was far, far worse than finding out that Santa Claus was a nice pretend. I reckon it was the first time in my life I truly felt disappointment. Uh, and I really wanted to do something with my disappointment. Uh, so I decided I was going to quit superheroes, right? I told my mom, give away my costume. I'm never wearing that thing ever again. And when any of my friends talked about superheroes, I would have nothing to do with it. In fact, I'd go to great lengths to tell them that superheroes weren't really real. My disappointment had this way of working itself out. Uh, now, we're in a series where we're not talking about Superman, but we are talking about disappointment. So let's do a quick survey out there just to see if this is relevant. Uh, has anyone ever been disappointed? Okay, uh, let's just take that a little bit further. Has anyone here ever been disappointed with friends or family? Okay. How about this one? Has anyone ever felt disappointed with someone from church? Maybe a fellow member or a leader? And here's the big one, guys. Has anyone ever felt disappointment with God? The things haven't worked out quite like you expected. You're disappointed with Him. Well, if that's the case, I'd like to tell you you're in good company because Moses felt that way. And if you're one of the very few that haven't been disappointed yet, don't worry, your time will come. So if you're joining us this morning for the first time, the series we're looking at is about possibly the greatest escape story of all time. And we're in the book of Exodus, which literally means going out. It's about how the Israelite slaves escaped from one of the most powerful nations in the then known world. In fact, uh, military experts have sat down and they try to work out the kinds of problems facing an escape of this magnitude. And when you realize there were over 2 million people, men, women and children and thousands of animals, that they lived in one of the most fortified countries of the then that the world had ever seen. They were so powerful that they had an agreement with all the nations around them that whenever fugitives escaped, they would send them straight back to Egypt. So that escape was impossible. And yet they did. Those people got out of chains and they escaped from Egypt. 
They escape via the desert, which in itself is a little bit of a remarkable story. And these military experts worked out that this group of people, that to survive in the desert, they would require 900 tons of food per day. That just to cook that food, they would need 2,400 tons of firewood. That they would need 2 million liters of water per day just to survive. And if they traveled in columns of five, people, five persons per column, that column would last 370 kilometers. If they just stood still, it would take you 10 days to walk past that column. And they were all led by one man. This gigantic army of slaves escaped their masters and they found freedom. It really is an epic escape story. But before any of this happened, God told Moses that it would happen. It was a certainty. And yet, before any of this happened, the Israelites faced disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. We're looking at the people God uses. So in chapter 1, we looked at the people that God uses are those that honor his name, that fear the Lord. In chapter 2, we looked at character. And God uses those that he uses their past and he uses their family to shape them. And he also uses our failures. Then in chapter 3, we looked at the burning bush. And our God calls us in to have a holy moment with him. And then last week, we looked at that God uses the kind of people who will lay down what's in their hands. And today... We're looking at how we deal with our disappointments. So what happens when you're disappointed? Well, if you're anything like me, you complain. And both the Israelites and Moses, they complained a lot. Now, the question we have to ask ourselves is, did they have a good reason to complain? Well, the Israelites first came to Egypt uh, in search of food. There was a famine in Canaan and they came. They didn't come to cause trouble. They just came to get food. And because of Joseph, one of their own had kind of rescued and saved Egypt with the Lord's help from famine. They were given land and they prospered in that land and they multiplied. They were doing well. They weren't causing anyone any harm. So far, so good. But then this happened. Something went wrong. A new Pharaoh arose and it says that he didn't know Joseph. And what he did is he looked at the Israelite people and he didn't like them. He didn't trust them. So he made them slaves. Slaves. So did they have a reason to complain? Well, I would think yes, right? I would complain. You've done nothing wrong you've actually been a blessing and now you find yourselves slaves 
And then Moses and Aaron arrive on the scene, right? And this is excellent news, guys. The Lord has heard your cries. He sent us to set you free from slavery. And the people hear this. They are thrilled. They believe Moses and Aaron. And they say to Moses, okay, Moses, um, how are you going to do this? And Moses says, well, I'm, I'm just going to walk into Pharaoh and I'm going to tell him, Pharaoh, let my people go. And the people are like, um, that's it? Like, that's your plan? And Moses and Aaron are like, yep, that's the plan. God himself has given us this plan, so fear not. So Moses and Aaron, at first, they approach Pharaoh with this confidence, right? It's almost like the swagger as they approach him. And we can read about it in, in chapter 5, verse 1. It says this. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord. Now, whenever you say, thus says the Lord, everyone's got to listen. The God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Now, what Moses and Aaron don't know is that right from this moment, they are going to face a series of disappointments. Disappointment number one, when life doesn't go according to plan. You see, Pharaoh doesn't do what Moses and Aaron expected. He says, no. No, that's, that's not how it's going to happen. He says it like this in verse 2. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. You know, in, in Pharaoh's words here, we get a glimpse of how most people live today. They ask the question, Who is the Lord? They, they show no fear of him. They show no reverence for him. They show no respect for him at all. And they certainly don't have any desire to obey him. And Pharaoh says, I, I don't know him. And just imagine how, how Moses must have felt at that moment, right? He's fresh from this burning bush experience where he's seen the Lord in all his holiness and his grace. And yet he's standing in front of Pharaoh who just refuses to even acknowledge him. I, I don't know if you've ever felt that way. When, when you look out and you just feel that, that no one fears the Lord. Right? People don't show him the honor due his name. They don't thank him. In fact, they blatantly do whatever they want. It's disappointing. Uh, I recently had this experience in regards to the abortion bill that was passed in South Australia. You see, I, I know that the Lord loves and he cares for the unborn. I know that God's people gathered to pray, that they wrote emails, that they signed petitions, that they, they marched. And yet, what we heard was, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? And I was really disappointed that life hadn't gone to plan. 
The plan in my mind was the unborn were going to be legally protected. That the Lord would act to stop the bill. But it didn't work out that way. At least not yet. Maybe for you, life hasn't gone to plan. You thought you were going to meet the perfect person. You were going to get married. You were going to serve Jesus together. And it hasn't quite worked out that way. Or maybe you've hit midlife. And you really thought life would look a lot different than how it's worked out. And there's this disappointment that's there. You know, Moses and Aaron felt exactly the same way. But they were in for even more. Because then they hit disappointment number two. Things get worse, not better. You see, Pharaoh doesn't just say no to their request. He makes it even worse for the Israelites. He says, Moses and Aaron, you're, you're wasting my time. He doesn't just say to them, all right, you know, thanks for bringing that chair. The answer is no, move on. No, he says, you know what? You being here is wasting their time. I'm going to make them work even harder. And Pharaoh tells his taskmasters, go and tell the Israelites that they've got to make the same number of bricks. But this time, they're not going to be provided with straw. You see, the bricks were made out of clay. And so without straw, they would be much heavier. They would be harder to make, harder to carry. And without straw, they would just easily break apart. So straw was this essential element that they needed. And collecting straw was a major job in and of itself. Just imagine in your work, you feel like you got way too much going on, like you're doing way more than you were ever employed to do. So you go and you talk to a friend about it and you tell them about it and they say to you, you should just go in and tell your boss about it. And you're like, well, you know what? Like you don't really know my boss. He can be really difficult. And, and to be honest, I'm a bit scared of him. But after the encouragement from the friend, you're like, okay, I've got to do this. So you go in and you talk to your boss. And instead of being met with understanding and sympathy, he turns around to you and says, you know, the reason that you're in here is actually, I'm glad you're here because I need to talk to you about your performance. You haven't been performing well. There's more that you've got to do. And you walk out of that meeting with even more to do. And you're thinking to yourself, why did I even go in the first place and speak to, to him? Yes, the stress I was working under, it, it was terrible and it wasn't great. But, but now it's even worse. And you probably want to give that so-called friend of yours a call and say, thank you very much for ruining my life. That's exactly what the people felt. But it gets worse. For Aaron and Moses. Because then they hit disappointment number three. When the people you're trying to help lose confidence in you. You see in verses 15 to 19. The Israelites take matters into their own hands. And they completely bypass Mer uh, Moses and Aaron. The very people that they were so thrilled to see originally. Now they just bypass them and they go to Pharaoh themselves. 
In verse 15, it says this. It says, Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? Do you note the change in the language there? They've been crying out to God about their slavery and oppression, but suddenly in front of Pharaoh, they call themselves his servants. Right? They completely downplay the situation. They think if, if we just go in there and, and we talk to Pharaoh, we, we butter him up and, and we tell him that we're actually his servants, that he'll change his mind. But that's not really dealing with the situation, is it? You see, you can't change what you're not prepared to confront. And these Israelites were not, to, not prepared to confront the real issue of their slavery. They'd been crying out to God about their slavery. They'd been talking to Moses and Aaron about their slavery. But now in front of Pharaoh, they're like, oh, well, we're just your servants. Please make it easier on us. Uh, Patrick Lencioni is a believer and he's also a leadership consultant. And he tells the story of a, a client he had. Uh, this company had a very well-known CEO, but he wasn't really vulnerable and he came across as quite threatening. And because of that, it was destroying the organization. You know, the CEO himself was famous. He was brilliant. But he was also intimidating. And that's what took the life out of this organization and was killing growth. And the head of HR was the only one brave person who went to him and said, listen, no one's telling you the truth. Everyone is afraid of you. And that's the real problem around here. So they decide to do a, a 360 degree review. This is where everyone anonymously kind of gives feedback and a review. Um, and this is what they do. So the CEO is then sent these results and he shares the results with absolutely no one. And surprisingly, things don't get better at all. So then they call Patrick Lincioni and they say, listen, Pat, can you come help us out? We're just we're not in a healthy place and we don't really understand why. So Pat arrives and he says, listen, what have you been doing? And they tell him about this 360 degree review. And he says, well, what did you do with the results? And they said, well, nothing. And he says, well, we need to share those results. So Reluctantly, they organize an all staff meeting and uh, the CEO arrives, not very happy. But in front of everyone, he then decides to share the results. And Pat says he's, he's quite chuffed with this moment. He's sitting off to the side thinking they're making progress. And the CEO starts and he says, uh, it says here, I'm not a good listener. W what do you guys think? And one by one, people say, oh, no, no, I, I, think, I think you're a great listener. You, you might even be the best listener there ever was. Oh, oh you're, you're a very good listener. He says, okay, um, it says here, feedback that I'm not really good at giving feedback what do you guys think what do you guys have to say and again everyone was like oh your your feedback is is really good it's, it's yeah it's great your feedback might have changed my life and Pat says he's sitting there listening to this going man I've got to do something this is this is not going well either I'm going to lose a client or we're going to lose this organization so he gets up and he says um, 
just excuse me, can I speak to everyone? He says, you know what? You guys are the only ones who filled in this 360 degree review. Someone must have said this stuff. And eventually the head of marketing puts up his hand and he says, well, you know, I'd like some more feedback. Well, actually, actually my team, uh, yeah, we'd like more feedback. We only tend to hear from you when we've done something wrong. We'd appreciate some more feedback. And with that, absolute silence. Till eventually one of the head lawyers puts up and he goes, oh, not me. I think your feedback's great. And again, it just went around. Everyone just affirmed this CEO, how great he was. How disappointing for that HR person and the head of marketing, right? They stick their neck out. But when the moment comes, the people shrink back because of fear and a brokenness of spirit. See, that is what Moses is feeling. He goes, I'm trying to get you guys free from slavery. Right? Pharaoh, that guy, he's the same guy who killed your baby boys and put you in slavery. And yet you guys, when you're in front of him, you're like, oh, yeah, Pharaoh's not so bad. We're his servants and we, you know, we just want to go back to how things were. What a disappointment. But Moses and Aaron are in for more because the third and final disappointment comes their way. The people blame you. The very people you are trying to help blame you. In verse 20 and 21, it says this. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge because you have made us a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants. You have put a sword in their hands to kill us. Basically, they complain, right? Even worse than complaining, they blame Moses and Aaron for their troubles. You made us a stink in the sight of Pharaoh. I mean, this isn't even true, right? Pharaoh had disdain and dislike for the Israelites long before Moses and Aaron arrived on the scene. But in their eyes, Moses, it's your fault. It's your fault. You did this. You put a sword in Pharaoh's hand to kill us. Now, while it is true, Pharaoh was making them work harder and he was very harsh with them. He wasn't going around with a sword killing them. So they exaggerate. Now, if you were Moses and Aaron, what would you do? You know, it's it's that five-year-old Superman moment where you have all this, this, this disappointment. What do you do? Do you just want to throw it away? Do you just want to throw in the towel and pack it in? You see, not only has it not worked out like you hoped, not only have the people lost trust in you, But now they're at a point where they blame you for their troubles. You notice how Moses and Aaron take this? Man, I'd be pretty tempted, if I'm honest, to give them a piece of my mind and a reality check, right? Hey guys, we're not the enemy here. 
We're actually here to help. Pharaoh, he's the bad guy. And I'd almost certainly take Aaron out for a cup of coffee and complain about the Israelites. I'm like, how unappreciative are they? How dare they say that about us? Don't they see that we're trying to help them? But look at what they do. What Moses and Aaron actually do is they take their complaint to God. They take the people's complaint and they take their complaint to God. You see, the people God uses will take their complaints to him. Look at what Moses does. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. And you have not delivered your people at all. You you notice how Moses blames God? Why, Why have you done this evil? Moses then feels sorry for himself. It's like this little boy in front of the Lord. He goes like, why did you ever send me? I I never wanted to do this in the first place. You failed, God. You've disappointed me. You've not delivered your people at all. You didn't do what you said you would do. Now, some of us might be thinking, how could he talk to God like that? Right? Has he forgotten so quickly that, that burning bush holy moment? This might surprise you, but the Lord can take it. Right? Moses is just pouring out his heart before the Lord. Actually, in Psalm 62, it says this. It says, Oh, my people, trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart to him. For God is our refuge. The Lord is a refuge. He is a safe place where you can pour out your heart to him. You can tell him exactly how you feel, exactly how you see things. You can bring your complaints to him. You can bring others' complaints to him. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where all you've wanted to do is complain right it's it's really bad and you just want to tell someone about it you're in this situation who do you go to well this is an actual complaint letter of a man who was on a flight and he was sitting on a seat that he didn't like so right then and there he takes out a pen and he starts to write this letter he just Pours out his heart. Okay, so listen to this. It says, Dear Continental Airlines. I shouldn't have said Continental Airlines. Just Dear Airlines. I'm disgusted as I write this note to you about the miserable experience I'm having sitting in seat 29E on one of your aircrafts. As you may know, this seat is situated directly across from the lavatory. So close that I can reach out my left arm and touch the door. All my senses are being tortured simultaneously. 
It is difficult to say what the worst part about sitting in 29E really is. Is it the stench of the sanitation fluid that's blown all over my body every 60 seconds when the door opens? Is it the whoosh of the constant flushing? Or is it the passenger's bums that seem to fit into my personal space like a jigsaw puzzle? I constructed a stink shield by shoving one end of the blanket into an overhead compartment. While effective in blocking at least some of the smell and offering a small bit of privacy, the bum on my body factor has increased. As without my evil glare, passengers now feel free to lean up against what they think is some kind of blanketed wall. I'm picturing a boardroom full of executives giving props to the young promising engineer that figured out how to squeeze an additional row of seats onto this plane by putting them next to the lavatory. I would like to flush his head in the toilet and I'm, that I'm close enough to touch and taste from my seat. Putting a seat here was a very bad idea. I just heard a man groan. This sucks. I am filled with a deep hatred for your plane designer. We are finally descending and soon I will be able to tear down the stink shield. But the scars will remain. I suggest you initiate immediate removal of the seat from all your aircrafts. Just remove it. Leave the smoldering brown hole empty. I guess no one's going to be sitting in uh, C29E. But do you see what he's done there? He's done exactly what we'd all love to do. He's complained to the highest authority and he's told them exactly how he feels. No holds barred. You see, the beauty of being God's child is that you can tell him exactly what you think. You can bring every disappointment, every complaint. But you also need to be ready and humble enough for the Lord's reply. And here's how God answers. God answers Moses by reminding him of his promises and his covenant. And he starts exactly the same way he finishes, as if saying, this is the most important thing, Moses. If you forget everything else, this is the thing you need to remember. City Reach, this is the thing. If you forget anything else from today, this is the thing that you need to remember. He is the Lord. He says it like this. I am the Lord. Not you, Moses. Not the Israelites. Not the situation. Not even Pharaoh. Jesus is Lord. And because that is true, everything else falls into perspective. Moses, you can't see it now. But I will deliver these people. And then it's like as if to reaffirm that the Lord just breaks into these I will statements. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. 
I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. It is a promise. It is unshakable. It is unmovable. It will happen because he has promised it and he is the Lord. Now you would think after all that, that the people's heart would change. After being reminded of all that, their hearts would be changed. But the people don't. Actually, it says this. It says, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel. He told them exactly what the Lord had just said. But they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Sometimes people can't see. Sometimes people can't see the Lord's hand at work. They can't see that you're trying to, to help them. But Moses and, and us too, we continue to serve the people despite their brokenness of spirit. You see, the people God uses are those that will take their complaints to him. And they understand that some people cannot respond because of their brokenness of spirit, but they will keep working on their behalf anyway. What are you doing with your complaints, with your disappointments? Are you taking them to friends? Are you burying them deep down? Are you believing them to be true? Or are you taking them to the Lord? Because the type of people that God will use are those that know him, know that they are a child of God, that they can come before him, that they can pour out their hearts to him, that he is a friend. What complaints and disappointments are you holding on to? What do you need to take to the Lord in prayer this morning? And maybe another question is, who do you need to love and serve in your life despite their brokenness of spirit? When I was five years old, I desperately wanted to believe there was a Superman. Someone who's strong, who conquers the bad guys, who stood for what was right. He was just like us, but he was also unlike us. At 21 years old, I met Jesus. Someone who was all that and more. Someone who was kind and gentle and yet strong and powerful. I could be safe in him. 
I could bring before him every thought, every complaint, every disappointment, everything that was in my heart I could share with him. And every time, every time he has strengthened my hand with his promises, every time. Because you see, in Christ, we have a faithful deliverer. And even though we can't completely see it yet, we know he will do what he has promised to do because he is the Lord. Not our disappointments, not our circumstances. He is the Lord and he is faithful. I don't want us to lose this opportunity this morning to bring before him your disappointments, your complaints, bring them before him. I'd like us to to stand and, and we're going to sing of our great God and our great King. But he is also a faithful friend. Let's turn our eyes to him.